I'm going to begin reading at verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Proverbs 4.21 Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips. Put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thy eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. The writer here is encouraging us to listen, to give careful attention to the words that are shared. This morning you can gladly disagree with my observations, but you will need to make some deliberate choices of your own because we live in perilous times. He says to keep our hearts with all diligence. What do you find inspiring? What do you find fulfilling? What do you long for in your heart is ultimately what you will and what you are worshiping. Out of the heart flow the issues of life, he says. Keep your heart with all diligence. And then in verse 25, let thine eyes look right on, let thine eyelids look straight before thee, ponder the path of thy feet, let all thy ways be established. He's encouraging us there to look straight, to look carefully, to think honestly and objectively about the path that we are on. We cannot afford to be careless. And finally, he says at the end of verse 27, Well, don't turn to the right or the left. And if you have, then remove your foot from evil. This morning I'd like to address the topic technology and the biblical Christian. You'll have to forgive me, my mind has been absorbed in that subject. I'm teaching a class on music and technology at Maranatha. And it's just the possibility that technology may also impact some of you here. I'll remind you that technology is nothing new. In Second Chronicles 26, in verse 15, about King Uzziah, it says that he made in Jerusalem engines. I didn't know that King Uzziah made engines. In fact, it doesn't really mean engines the way you think about it. But he made machines. And it says, the next phrase, it says that they were invented by cunning men. That's what technology is. It's just a continual improvement of, of processes to accomplish the goals of mankind. So there is nothing new about technology. It's not new. But I will say this, that the pace at which it's changing and the closeness and consistency with which we interact with it is changing. It's faster, it's closer, and it's more frequent, our interaction with technology, than it has ever been before in history. 
The changes that have happened in the last number of years are almost impossible to believe. I'm 40 years old. How many of you think I'm old? You can be honest. Children mustn't be listening. When I was your age, I thought, I thought 40 was old. Some of you youth might have been wanting to put your hands up too. Do you know that when I was a youth, just 20 and a few years ago, then cell phones were not an issue? I remember still clearly when my dad got a bag phone in his truck. And the idea of making a phone call anywhere but on a landline was stunning technology. Many of you will remember that as well. I'm not sure when I got my first cell phone, but I know this, that all we did with it was call people. I actually dialed a number and pressed send. Like the numbers in sequence, not find a contact and press call. Probably from memory, many of those phone numbers, some of you older people will have a whole phone book full of useless phone numbers from years ago. Or we looked in a thing called a phone book. They actually existed back then. (coughs) I remember when the first possibility of texting started. But you had to select each letter one at a time with the number sequence. Number one was A, B, C, and if you want a capital A, you press it again. So if you want a capital A, you press it four times. And if you accidentally pressed it five times, then you could go all the way through again to get back to capital A. So in most cases, it was much quicker to call a person than to send a text message. The idea of taking a picture with a phone is not even on our minds. In fact, when I was dating, do you know what I had to do if I wanted to send my girlfriend a picture? Young people, you might hardly be able to comprehend this, but we had to actually get a camera. We had a film with negatives in it, 24 exposure films. You had to buy a film, put it in the camera, and you could take a picture. But now that film was started, so either you would fill up the camera with some other useless nonsense or you're trying to find something to take a picture of that you might want it, then you would take the film to the local drugstore to have it developed. And if you paid extra, you could have one hour photo developing. If not, you come back the next day and pick up your pictures. And then you put it in an envelope, you put it in the mailbox, you put up the flag, wait for the mailman to come, haul it to Virginia, and my wife would go to the mailbox and get it and look at the picture. Or we could have faxed it, I guess. Some of you don't even know what that is. Blurry, black and white, buzzing and screaming, it would have came out the other end. Today we talk to our devices and they respond. Vehicles are guided by themselves. Tractors travel over farms without a man steering. Trucks are hauling freight with battery power and without human operators. We recently, the new one cuts four times as fast with less energy than the one that was old. In the medical field, the changes and advancements are unbelievable. We replace in backs on and on and on the advancements. And what will the future hold? You ever tried to stop and imagine where this is all going? Will we get to the place where we simply think what we want to happen with our technology? I believe it's quite possible. 
Well, we view it on a screen. That is actually part of our normal vision. You won't have a device anymore that anyone can see, but that it will just somehow either project where you can see it or that you'll wear. So working on a contraption that would allow our brains to connect directly with technology and robots because our mouths and our hands are restricting what our brain could do. But you think about where that is going and what that will look like. Where does humanity once the man is controlling the machine with his mind but not with his hands or with his mouth? You can be certain that the way in which we interact socially is going to change again. The three most popular platforms among youth today are all less than 15 years old. Instagram and Snapchat and YouTube. And how will it look? What can be done today through the fake world virtual reality will continue to dramatically change and continue to improve in its realness. And that's not to say anything about what will happen in the world of artificial intelligence or AI. The amount of information that is captured and gathered and used. It struck home with me. We have a conversation at the Bible school there last Saturday night. We were discussing technology a little bit with the students. And one of them talked about a tracking history on their computers and said this. That's why we go back on our parents' computers and see what ads come up so that we know what we're going to get for Christmas. Parents don't think about that. Young people do. You know how that Google Maps app works with the traffic on it? You know how that works? Pretty neat, isn't it, that we can tell where traffic is slow, where it's stopped, when it's green, when it's yellow, when it's red. All it's doing is collecting the data from cell phones. When they're bunched together and slowing down, then they project that onto the map. And when they speed up again, then it's green. It's really remarkable to think about the progression, and as we think about the Christian, and specifically our experience in the Christian church as we know it, many, many years ago now, when the radio first came on the scene, people evaluated the content and what was available And while it was acknowledged that there may be some benefit, there was far more negative. So the church said, no radio. The television came along and the same arguments were made. Some were for it because look at all the good that could happen because of television. And others, including our forefathers, said no, because the content was not worth it. And then computers came along and the internet came along and now we have smaller devices and on and on it goes. And we went from no because the good doesn't outweigh the bad to we need it for business or the good is so important. And today, friends, we are accepting things that are thousands of times worse than what was available when radio first came along and yet we still proclaim that we hold to the same principles and that we will continue to make godly applications to these principles in spite of the fact that we allow this corruption in our hands. We don't say no, and we won't. Maybe we should have said no, but we still won't say no, unless there is some major disruption where we discern that what the devil is doing with technology is actually devastating 
results. We will continue to ride along. And I can't help but wonder, how will the conservative church survive the tech tsunami? I know that God is faithful. I know that his grace is sufficient. I know that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I do believe that victory in 2020 is possible. But it's really hard not to notice the scary signs among us. It's difficult to know where to begin with this subject or where to end. Today I want to consider four categories of danger and encourage you to carefully consider how you are interacting with technology, what you should do about this danger. I'd like you to turn to James chapter 4. The first danger I want to put in front of you or you to think about is the danger of content. In James 4, verse 4, very strong language here. James is expressing the heart of God when he says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever there will be a friend, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God's. The imagery there, the picture is stark and startling. To God, when we embrace worldliness and we love the things of the world, it's like we're having an affair on Him and on Jesus Christ. That's what it's like. The same kind of thought in 1 John 2. In verses 15 and on. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What if, in this little cube, was contained all of the world's power to impress in your mind? What if, in here, this worldliness, lust of the eyes, the world's heroes, Hollywood style, Hollywood worldly slang, the American dream, professional sports, pride of life and the lust of flesh, secular education, politics. If you have this device, this cube, it is going to impact the way you think. If this was truly like that, the more time you spend with it, the more you play with it, the more it's going to make you like the world. If that was true, if this actually was a glowing, powerful looking object right now, would you take it home with you? Would you be clamoring over each other to, who's going to take this home with us? Maybe here's a more important question, where in your home would you put it exactly? Would you put it in your children's toy box? Maybe in your teenager's bedroom. 
Maybe you put it in your living room, central to all that you do when your family is relaxing together. That's where you put it. Maybe on your desk in the study. Keep it handy. So when you're paying bills and when you're studying your Bible. You know, a couple generations ago, the Ouija board was a bit of a concern in some circles. I don't know anything about it too much, and I don't know how much it was a concern in these areas. But when I think about this, I think about that, how much difference is there really? And I'm sure that you can imagine what this represents. Where do we have it in our homes? Friends, content that is not in harmony with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, should never be utilized on our devices. Content that is in conflict with our local church should not be on our devices. Content is a hard issue. Now, while I believe that we should be doing all we can to protect us from bad content, we do that, filters and accountability software and blockers and so on and so on. There's only so much we can do to protect ourselves from bad content. And as long as we intend to be in the game of technology, we will not be able to totally avoid evil. So we must personally guard our hearts. And friends, content has always been a hard issue. But here's what is coming so clear and coming so close to home. That in the past, the distance between the ungodly desires of the heart and the thoughts towards sin and the actual fulfillment of those desires, or at least the feeding of those desires, was further apart. You know, you actually had to make some deliberate choices to go somewhere to do something to access that kind of sinful habit or thought or desire. Today, it is so close together, the time of the thought to the time of indulging in that thought or feeding that thought is just literally a click away. And friends, the the distance between those two things, if the Lord tarries and man is continually able to do what he is doing, will continue to get closer and closer and closer together. So this, this content, the danger of content, must be a hard issue personally if we are going to survive. Why is content so critical? God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. When we allow worldliness in, when we engage in inviting the world to influence us, We are inevitably, it's unavoidable, we are desensitizing ourselves. The scriptures give the idea of a conscience being seared. It has the idea of being catarized or touched with a hot iron so that it no longer feels. Friends, when we are indulging in this, we are desensitizing ourselves. And you cannot feed on a diet of worldliness and be holy. You can't do it. The children of Israel 
were prone to neighborhood interaction, if I can call it that. Not on a device, by the way. But invariably, it brought the world into their heart. With time, they always loved the same things as their neighbors, and they always ended up serving the same God as their neighbors. Are we any different? Serious, serious danger we face of content in our interaction with technology. The second danger I want to bring to your attention is the danger of lost time. Even if we manage content, we face other challenges with this bombardment of technology that we face. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. Verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Verse 15, Ephesians 5, same thought as we had at the end of Proverbs 4. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Then he says, Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The danger of lost time. How much time does a young mother have for blogs, for posting Bible verses and pictures of the day's events? How much time does an older woman have for Facebook and other social platforms and Pinterest and all the rest? How much time does a young Christian have for YouTube funny videos, documentaries, or worse? How much time does a young father have to follow and watch sports? How much time does grandpa have for Craigslist, politics, Fox News, or more funny videos on YouTube? Have you noticed that today... Too often our interaction as families, and especially in extended families, sometimes even in our own families. Did you see this video? Did you read that? Out come the phones and everybody gathers around to find this little latest, greatest funny. And we sit together and that's our social interaction. Now, before we just instantly jump to conclusions on all of those questions, you might be sitting here and saying, well, of course a young mother doesn't have any time for blogs. Is it more godly to knit than to browse Pinterest or to write a blog post? Is it better to read the newspaper that came in the end of the driveway than to read Fox News online? Is it more important to garden to every last herb and special vegetable and it is to learn new recipes via Pinterest. Sometimes we're quick to make judgments and quick to make statements. We have to realize that the times are changing. If we don't acknowledge that, then we are going to have very little impact in how we teach 
But let me tell you this, that time is an incredibly valuable resource. Every person has 24 hours in a day. You can't make more time. You can't buy more time. You can't stop time. You can't stretch time. It's an incredibly valuable resource. And once it's gone, it's gone. And I promise you that no one will ever get to the end of life and wish that they would have spent more time playing Angry Birds or Minecraft or much worse or watched another set of silly video fails on YouTube. But there are going to be many that will wish they would have invested more time in their spiritual health and in the lives of those around them. Young people, God is going to call you to do many things in the coming years and decades. Are you going to be prepared for the challenges that you'll face? Or are you going to waste the time you have now to strengthen your your personal walk with God, to prepare for when He calls you? Are you going to waste it away in your technology? My oldest daughter turned 19 today. It wasn't very long. She was standing up here saying her memory verse. The opportunities we have to influence that generation goes by so quick. So we have the danger of content. We have a danger of lost time. Thirdly, I want to remind you that we have a danger of blurred reality. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, very first thing Jesus wanted to tell them, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, Whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. In God's world, there is no blurred reality. But as technology has advanced, and as we have more and more ways and opportunities by which we project ourselves visually out into the or at least socially, into the spectrum. We face a, a bombardment of temptation to believe what is fake and to engage in what is fake. There is fake news and fake profiles and hidden realities. And in all of it, it seems almost like the devil is poking us in the eye with it. You know, social media is one of the most unsocial things that exists. FaceTime is not FaceTime, it's actually screen time. These things are just, it's like he's just going like that to us. 
You see, online you can be who you want to be. You can project your image as you want others to see it, regardless of how it actually is. And you know, in social media abroad, there are so many fake profiles where people are pretending to be something they're not. And I can't help but wonder how many fake profiles there is in the Mennonite church for some reason, for some purpose. The world is full of it. Do we really believe it never impacts us? We have many also, another way that we have this blurred reality is that we have many who are real on their social media platforms, but they're fake in church and in family and the youth group. Over and over and over, it's stunning to me when you go on people's profiles online. Which person is real? The one I see sitting here or the one you project on social media? Because they're not the same person. And we are increasingly led to believe and we accept this belief that we can be two different things. That we can be someone over here to some people, someone else over here to another person. That's not how it is. But the world of technology is inviting us to believe in this blurred reality. And friends, again I say, if this continues to go forward as it is going, if America continues to be a prosperous nation, and if the Lord doesn't return, then we are going to experience blurred reality in ways that we can't begin to imagine right now. You know, I also have to think about how how it happens today with social media availability and all the friends we have all around the world. Whenever life gets difficult, here at home, in the real world, like where you have to f- meet people face to face, where you interact with them in school or in at home, you know what so many people today do? Go straight to their device and tell a friend somewhere far away all about their problems. And their friend understands. And their friend agrees. And their friend is for every part of their one-sided story. And they're not required to do anything to help except to believe you and to sympathize. And you sit there with your device in your puddle of tears and you feel better. And somehow this is a benefit to us as Christian people. You won't need to face them tomorrow at work or next Friday night at the youth group or at the next meters, members meeting or in your next minister's meeting next Sunday. They can safely support you from a distance. Distance, friends, is always easier. And friends, while you're engaged in the distance, you are not available locally. That's the important thing. So what is real again? Is the real relationship what you have with your device? Or is the real relationship you have where you meet people and you interact with them personally and you have some bumps and conflicts? Which is the real world? And which one is it important that we actually good at interacting in? You know, we say so many things are so valuable to us. I've watched groups of young people sit in a room together and all of them on their devices interacting with people hundreds of miles away. 
Is that a benefit to us? Is it actually helpful? I've, I've seriously considered putting a basket inside our front door and whenever a company comes, invite them to put their technology right there in that basket. And they can pick it up on their way out. The world would be a better place if we did that more often. In fact, I'll go a little further. And you, I said you may disagree with me. But I ask the question, is it really helpful for missionaries abroad to be able to stay in constant contact with their family and friends back home. Some years ago, my brother was on the mission field and got pretty close to a number of the native people there, and invariably they would complain about their three-year pastors that would parachute in there and were their pastor for three years. And every Tuesday night and Thursday night, they'd be at home on Skype, interacting with friends and family from back home. And while the native people who they were serving were outside wishing for some of their attention. Is it really beneficial? Is it really that important? What if they would replace what they got from you back home with a deeper walk with God and local relationships? What if that happened instead? It's not easy. I understand that. And would it make their ministries more effective if they did that? I'm just asking questions, and now you can make assumptions as you wish. Make conclusions, I should say, as you wish. And again, I will just remind you that this area of blurred reality is only getting worse. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. You know, the battle that young men and women increasingly young women as well, have for moral purity and how much that has been amplified because of the access and the devices which they're having in their hands. Can you imagine what it will be like once you can have a virtual, real world where you're interacting with nothing but digital reality? Reality in quotes. That's where this is going. So we have a danger of contact, we have a danger of lost time, and finally we have a danger, sorry, we have a danger of blurred reality, and finally a danger of mind numbing. I don't know that I can explain this fully. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not even that smart. But I can tell you that our technology and the interaction with technology is making us dumber, not smarter. God has given us a sound mind. The scriptures call us to study to show thyself approved unto God. When Jesus was interacting with the the religious leaders in the temple, they were asking questions and they were digging together into what God meant. We are called to seek for meat, not milk. But today, so often, as soon as the subject gets deep, when the comprehension requires deep thought, then you see people's eyes glaze over. In fact, sometimes you see them reaching for their phones if it's nearby. Pick up an A.W. Tozer book today and try to do it for Bible studies on Wednesday night and for over half the people, it's way too deep. Why is that? Friends, we're losing our ability to think deeply. You know why? Because we want to grab our device and we'll ask Google about it. And if Google can't tell us in a 90-second video, then it probably doesn't really matter if we know. 
That's how we operate. That's how we think. I had to wonder, is there actually similarities and attributes between the Holy Spirit and between Google? It's how many use it today, even in preaching and teaching the Word of God. We'd rather go to Google than we would to get on our knees and seek the face of God to enlighten us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the truths of God's words. We're losing the ability to think deeply. The amount of studies that are coming out in this regard across the spectrum of society, not from Christian authors, is really stunning. It should be shocking to us as well. Can we really believe that there's no interaction between the massive increases in ADD and ADHD and whatever other acronyms they put together now and the screen time people are having today? The average young person's uh, attention span today is going like this, so fast. And then we gather together on a Sunday morning to preach for 45 minutes and we're surprised that they don't get much out of it. If all your children do in their growing up years is spend time with technology where things are changing like this in everything they do, it's their minds are literally frittered. They are. They just can't stop. And if you want them to stop and focus on something, it's almost impossible to get their attention. Especially young minds, you ought to be really careful about how much screen time you allow them to have. Studies have shown over and over again that we should not be on our screens within at least a minimum of an hour before we lay down to go to sleep. Your brain cannot rest from screen to pillow. It doesn't work that way. So we need to be careful. So what should we do? A few minutes here, I want to give you a few practical things. Walk circumspectly. We've talked about that. Be cautious, be thoughtful, seriously think about what we are doing and where we are walking. As I have been studying this and thinking about it, I was really challenged, probably convicted is a better word. What am I actually doing to protect those I'm responsible for in my home and in my church? What am I actually doing to protect them from playing with this toy? Are we doing anything? Many young boys' first interaction with pornography is on mom's phone. There's no password, no protection, open access. Mom doesn't need it after all. That's a fact. Many young boys, that's their first interaction. Most teenagers know their parents' passwords. My question is, are we engaged? Are we alert? Do we know what's happening in our homes? The devil is seeking whom he may devour. Casualties from technology will begin to pile up. I believe that with all my heart as we move forward and have more and more increased engagement with technology. So walk circumspectly. Secondly, don't play with technology. It's a tool, not a toy. And we say that over and over again, but I really challenge you to think about what things do you actually need your smartphone for? Five years ago, at Maranatha Bible School, there was, I think in a student body of 70, about five smartphones. This year, in the same size group, there is one flip phone. 
Every other teenager there has a smartphone. Is, thing, is it changing fast? Are we aware how fast it's changing? Now, what, what are the purposes they need that tool for? My, my teenagers think I'm a terrible parent because I won't give them a cell phone until they're in the youth group. Well, what do they need it for when they're 14? Maybe you won't give them a cell phone, but they got an MP3 player that is Wi-Fi enabled and they go to the first restaurant and guess what? They're doing all kinds of things their parents don't even know they can do. Are we alert? Don't play with technology. Thirdly, build real relationships. This is something so vitally important both to maintain what real relationships are, but also to protect us in this tsunami of technology that we're facing. The real relationship with God. A real relationship with brotherhood. Those who you are with here in church. Do you desire deep, meaningful relationships with them where you can openly discuss how you're doing with technology? How you're doing with protecting your family from technology? And real relationships with each other. Real face-to-face, word-conversation relationships. Put your phones down and engage in real relationships. I would encourage taking technology fasts. I think it's important for us to deliberately choose downtime. Addiction happens so easy. It's like... That little pling happens or the little vibration happens. We hear it across the room and it's just like a magnet. we got to go see what we might be missing, what new alert came onto our phone. Can you step away from it for a week? Can you only use landlines for a week? It's healthy for us to cut off ties so that we don't get drawn in into addiction. So many have been there. And it's very important finally to practice self-discipline. Set your own boundaries. What are you going to allow? How much time are you willing to waste, burn up in playing games? Set a limit. These devices are so smart too. They tell us all how much time we're spending on this and how much time we're spending on that. Are you comfortable with how much time that is? If not, set yourself some limits. And if you don't keep your own limits, then self-punish yourself. You've got to be serious about this. If you don't, it's just going to fritter away your life. And if you still aren't successful in keeping your own boundaries when you've tried self-discipline and you've punished yourself, then it's time you find someone else to talk to because you're proving you're not capable of setting your own boundaries. It's too important to let it go. Turn with me to Colossians 3. I want to leave you with this verse. In a short story, Colossians 3, verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What do you love? What is truly important to you? What do you care about most? You know, if I could see clearly your digital technology footprint, if 
for those of you of the technology age. If I could see that, if I could see what you're doing, I would know more about you than what I see by looking at your faces here today. In fact, I probably know a lot about who you really are. What are we setting our affections on? What do we care most about? I'll leave you with one story. A number of years ago now, when my children were small, we had two or three children. I think Andrea, our daughter, who is 19 now, might have been four or five, and our oldest son was two or three. We went to a restaurant called Chuck E. Cheese's. Any of you know what Chuck E. Cheese's is about? I've only been there once. <clears throat> it is a restaurant with the idea that you can feed the family and then let the children play. But it is like a senses smorgasbord for young children, especially if they come from a sheltered home where they haven't been engaged in all kinds of stuff. So there's all these games to play. There's You get a strip of tickets you buy, and then you put a ticket in here, and you go on a ride there, and you do this, and you do that, and there's lots and lots of things to do. We had supper. The parents had supper. The children couldn't eat because they were so excited. And then they went to play. And I remember a moment where I was trying to communicate with Josh, my oldest son, who was about three years old at that time. And he was so engaged in what was going on around him. I literally reached down and I took his head and I turned his face to look at me. And then his eyes were still going, like everywhere. And I put my hands like this so he couldn't see anything. Until I could shut off the noise around him so that I could talk to him. And he couldn't wait for me to be done so he could rush back to play. Friends, I wonder how often God feels like that today where he longs to get our face off of what we're doing, what we're playing with, to communicate with him. Does he have to do this so that we will look up and see his glory and his majesty? And can we not wait for him to be done talking to us so that we can go back to our playing? Beware, we live in dangerous times. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we come to you the close of this service. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the shed blood of Christ and for redemption, for a relationship we can experience with you because of the power of your resurrection. And Lord, we recognize that we live in dangerous times. There are so many things to draw us away, to distract us, to call for our attention, to waste away our days and our years, to make us fruitless in the kingdom or wandering away out of the kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take seriously the times we live in and to walk carefully, to consider carefully the paths of our feet. I pray especially for those here this morning who are responsible for others and the way they use technology and the way they interact with technology. Give them wisdom. Help them to set boundaries carefully and thoughtfully. Lord, it's tempting to say, just to say no, 
That's not the path we've chosen. So help us to be thoughtful and careful in what we do. I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon this church and that you would continue to make them a fruitful vessel here in this community. You would not allow technology to draw them away to the empty things of this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.